1: When it comes to remodeling and renovating your home, there is no better show on your radio. This is Around the House with Eric G.
0: Everybody stop what you're doing, please!
1: From your back fence to the sidewalk, Eric will tell you how to keep it all in tip-top shape while helping you save a buck while doing it. If you like DIY projects, it takes a lot of practice to get good at it, and Eric is here to guide the way.
0: These are the wrong plans! These are the old plans!
1: All that and more on the fastest two hours of home improvement radio. Stop it! Stop what you're doing. Welcome to Around the House with Eric G.
0: Welcome to Around the House with Eric G. This is where we talk home improvement every single weekend. Thanks for joining us. We've got a special guest today on the radio. We've got Kevin O'Connor, host of This Old House. Welcome to Around the House, my friend.
2: Thank you, Eric. Great to be here. Appreciate the invite.
0: Thanks, man. Thanks for coming on. And, man, I do miss us catching up at all the different <laughs> uh, trade shows and <laughs> events that we cross paths with. It seems like it's been a decade only. It's been, what, 16 months or something like that?
2: I never thought I'd say it, but send me to a trade show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs>
0: I am too.
2: It's I'm so ready.
0: crazy. I'm so tired of virtual seminars and that kind of stuff. I just want to be in person, so I can't wait for uh, the big one next year for the at least the Kitchen and Bath um, Industry show as everything else tends to start going again.
2: I'm with you. I'll tell you, I did a weird thing. I did a, I did a, a public event via Zoom, um, which you can imagine exactly how that goes down. At the end of it, they had a meet and greet line and you got to have your picture taken with Tom Silva and myself on zoom <laughs> which meant <laughs> which meant three people staring at a computer when someone said smile and they did a screenshot and i was like this does not work we (laughs) gotta get back to doing this in person
0: (laughs) oh man oh man that's 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 crazy you know it's it's and that's people ask me why don't i record these shows on zoom and stuff and and quite frankly i'm so burned out on microsoft team meetings and zooms i just like going back to the good old-fashioned phone call and have something here that seems a little old school to mix it up until we're all back in person again
2: Works for me. Here we are.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, you guys just are kind of wrapping up season, what, 41 on This Old House?
2: Yeah, is that right? I've I've now become the guy on the crew. I've joined everyone else where I've lost track. Season 41 (laughs) is airing now. We've wrapped the project, and it's going to be wrapping up on PBS soon. We're about halfway through the episodes, and we've already started the first project of season 42 for This Old House and season 19, I think, of Ask This Old House. And for us, a season is a year. So it's yeah. you know, it's not like you do six seasons in a year. This is 42 years of This Old House and 19 years of Ask This Old House.
0: You know, I have to give a lot of credit to This Old House season two because I don't think I'd be in the Home Improvement Design and Construction Industry, and I've told you this story before, and it's been a while since you've been on the show, so I'll catch some of our newer people up to date. But uh, my dad got a hold of uh, the TV station there in Boston when I was probably 11 or 12 years old on season two and actually ordered and had, you know, via the mail, ordered the blueprints for that house. And they shipped them out, and uh, I as a little kid sat there and watched the show with the blueprints and followed along. And I'll be honest, I have to give a lot of credit to the, the history of this old house, to uh, helping me get where I am today, because it's just such an honest, real show. And uh, it's, the, uh, it's the original, as far as I'm concerned, of uh, home improvement television.
2: Well, I'm in the same boat as you, Eric. I mean, I grew up watching it as well. And uh, I never went into the trades professionally, but, you know, I did the same thing. I, I, you know, hunted it down and watched every episode and watched it with my dad, my brothers, even fought my college roommates for the remotes, you know, (laughs) to try to switch off the basketball game to this old house uh, in the dorm room. And, uh, well, I mean, it worked out differently for me because now I'm the damn host of the thing, but uh, (laughs) only because I grew up watching it and loved it and just had a passion for it. That's awesome. Yeah, it kind of got
0: me in trouble the other day, though. I was sitting there. I'd uh, Comcast had sent me this new TV streaming box to try out for an interview. And uh, I realized that I had plugged it in and had found on one of the stations a this old house channel that just all it is is this old house. And every time I was in – I've been busy. Every time I was just catching up on old episodes I might have missed, that kind of stuff. And they're like, well, okay, we're going to do the interview tomorrow. What do you think of it? I go, um, yeah, let me – cancel my stuff this afternoon. I need to play with your TV box because all I've done is watch one channel because I just got sucked <laughs> in. So it was pretty funny. We joked about it afterwards, but it's just, you know, and when I'm busy, I haven't, you know, I, I, I'm not the biggest TV person just because of my schedule. I wish I I wish I wish caught up more on stuff. But uh, for instance, your new, the one that you've been doing right now, uh, that house, I love that one because it tells a little bit of a different story And maybe some of the last few, and I think that's the one with the fire, correct?
2: Yeah. So it's a three-decker in Dorchester, uh, which is a neighborhood of Boston, which happens to be the same neighborhood that we went to in 1979 for the very first This Old House project. Mm -hmm. Um, And in this case, the, the woman who lives there, Carol, has lived there for 40 years and just about 2 years ago her house caught on fire uh, the fire jumped from the adjacent house to hers so the damage was significant enough to chase her out of there but not so bad that the house had to come down the firemen got there in time they went through the roof they extinguished it but as you might imagine if the fire doesn't get you the water damage does yeah so she was out and she was struggling you know she had to you know fight the insurance company for every penny and you know went through a couple contractors who thought they could do it but then couldn't and uh, our job was to get her back in get her back in quickly on a very tight budget and to work within the confines of this existing three decker and it was a ton of fun because first of all she she was just great she was just a she is a complete sweetheart but the house style itself is an iconic boston type of house the three decker detached mm-hmm one floor over the other, and not just in Boston. There are many urban cities where this house was the primary entry home for many, many populations. I lived in a number of them as I sort of worked my way through college in Boston and all that kind of stuff. Millions of other people did. So we had some fun telling the story about three-deckers, as well as celebrating the craftsmanship that went into bringing this house back.
0: Man, that is awesome. And that's that's a little bit different. You know, it's interesting with you guys, and, and I don't know if everybody realizes it out there, that this old house is run completely different than almost every other TV show out there that you watch. And no shade thrown upon, you know, the HD TVs of the world, but many times when you're turning on a home and garden television show or any one of the other home improvement shows out there, no matter what network it's on, there are so many product placement pieces within that. And it's not really the history of this old house to be jam full of free products that the homeowner gets. The homeowners are actually doing this project, and you guys are working on their budget, and there's not a 1,000 products that are product placement within that.
2: It's true. The homeowners are on the hook for the entire cost of the project. Uh, we don't sign up with them unless they're committed to paying for what they're asking the contractors to build or to renovate. Um, there are certainly lots of companies, particularly in this day and age, who want to throw product at us and at the homeowners. And it's permitted, but you know, because we're PBS, we're not allowed to Show the brand name. We're not allowed to talk about them in qualifying terms. We're not gratuitous about it. And it's also part of our DNA, you know, which is it's about the craftsmanship. It's about the right decisions. It's about finding the compromise between, you know, budget and what you want. Um, And that's our editorial focus. And that has always been our editorial focus. We're fortunate that I think we came up at an era before all of that social media and product placement became so ubiquitous. And we're just fortunate that we work with the people that we work with. I mean, you can understand. Richard Chithui, who's our plumbing contractor, has been on the show for 42 years. Yeah. (laughs) Tommy Silva (laughs) has been on the show for 35 years. I mean, you know, we're still working with some of the originals, and it's just the way we operate. This is about, you know, real homeowners, but most importantly, about real contractors performing the work that they do day in and day out. I'm the only guy on the on the TV crew. Who doesn't practice a trade professionally, you know, and that's the host's job. You know, I'm the guy who asks the questions. I'm supposed to ask Tommy and Richard and Jen and Mark and Morrow and Heath, you know, what's going on and how do you do it? So that's a, we've got a culture that serves us well, particularly today when the temptation to be assaulted with free stuff or to talk about something because a sponsor has pushed it or paid for it um, is very ever present. We're fortunate that we don't have to do that.
0: Yeah, it's great. It's great. And it just keeps the show very honest, which I love because, you know, there's just such great information in there. And all of a sudden, it seems like you just joined that show the other day. But to be honest, if you look back, you're the longest running host of this old house.
2: That's kind of crazy. I remember when they asked me to, to join the crew. I figured I'd be the shortest running host. In fact, I told my boss at the company that I was leaving. I was like, "Hold my seat. I'll be back in six months." Uh, I hope my name's not still on a chair in a queue at the bank because it's been 19 years. But, uh, yeah, that that's uh, it blows my mind. But it's also you know it's an honor and it's a real blessing to think that I get to still do what I do.
0: Well, and you you started out as a homeowner on Ask This Old House. That was almost a defunct kind of just trial, wasn't it? You were there and they just, you know, all of a sudden you're now the host.
2: Yeah, it's true. Um, That was 2003. And the funny thing is Ask This Old House wasn't even on the air yet. No one knew outside of the production team that it was Mm -hmm. being produced. It was a new idea. Same guys, but instead of big projects from beginning to end over the course of a year, smaller projects where Tommy um, or Rich would go and ring a doorbell and solve a small problem for a homeowner. And that's what my wife and I were doing, we're fixing up a two-family, our first house right after we got married, complete wreck, barely livable, You know, no working <laughs> kitchen, one working bathroom, that kind of stuff. And as soon as we ran into a jam... Having grown up with the show as a kid like you, I you know, I don't know why we thought we would do it, but we wrote a letter to the magazine looking for some historical detail, some insight on how to replicate a historical detail. It turns out that that's what the producers for the forthcoming Ask This Old House series were using was the magazine's mailbag to kind of find prospective homeowners to ring the doorbell. And when they called and said, hey, can we come to the house? I was like, I don't know what you want to do here because we're not... <laughs> You know, we don't have the money for you guys to renovate the whole place. But when I heard them say they're bringing Tommy Silva, I was like, oh, I don't care what you're gonna do here, just bring Tommy, and I'll be here tomorrow morning.
1: <laughs> yeah. So they I,
2: came, I, and we filmed this thing, and it worked. And then just out of the blue, they're like, Yeah, how'd you like to how'd you like to host both shows? And I was like, um, Yes. <laughs> yeah, that had to have been a that had to have been a hard
0: one though, because you know you had your own career in in banking, right? That you were you were doing as your nine to five.
2: Uh, yeah i mean it, it it wasn't like a slam dunk yes but it was pretty close to a slam dunk yes i mean you remember that time in your life you're young you just got married you're mm-hmm. kind of dumb it like the world's your oyster yep and i yeah i had a banking career but you know, I also had a business degree and I had a college education and I had a story to tell why I was leaving. You know, it wasn't like I told my boss, I'm out of here. You know, I said, hey listen, I got this crazy opportunity and he's like, really? Like he literally was like, wait, what are you gonna do? And I said, I'm gonna host a show. And he goes, I don't get it, like what are you gonna do? And I said, I'm gonna host the show, like I'm gonna be Steve yeah. Thomas. And he's like, I don't get it, what, what's Steve gonna do? I was like, he's leaving, it's me. Anyway, my point is, It was a little bit of a leap, but I was like, what the heck? They're asking me to be the host of this old house. Like if it blows up in six months, I got a good story to tell people over a beer and I'll go back to banking. It'll always be there. And it (laughs) didn't work out that way. And I'm glad it didn't, but um, it it was a no brainer in some respects and it was an easier decision than you might think.
0: Oh yeah, it's that would have been such an honor. I can totally see, you know, where you and I are similar age. That uh, with that history of of that uh, of that whole franchise, and then ask him to be the quarterback, you know, to to tell the, to help tell the story of the work as all the masters are working around you. What not a great opportunity.
2: Yeah, just to be clear, the host is more of like the water boy and not the quarterback. I'm kind, of, I'm kind of running out there just delivering stuff so Tom Silva can shine when he, you know, talks to the camera or talks to me. That's kind of my job. So no one, no one asked me to quarterback, but I said uh, I'll even yeah. be a water boy.
0: Well, I'll give you more credit than that because you know it's your job to go out there and tie all these pieces together. You know, if it was, uh, you know, just just talking to, and I love. Tommy Richard all the crew out there they're all just great people and super approachable too as, as I've met them over the years at all the shows and stuff but you know you, you play a big part going out there and and tying it all together and, and making it cohesive you know for the cameras
2: I try uh, and you're right. They are super approachable. They're very down to earth. They are who they are. They're they're still contractors who happen to you know do TV as a sort of a part time job almost. So it makes it really easy when you work with people who are as humble and as gifted as they are. It's it's so what easy was it, to be in their company.
0: Yeah. What was it like this last year with trying to film with with all the the restrictions of COVID? I mean, that's that's a first for for you guys and uh, trying to. Trying to weave that, uh, weave the rules and making television, it had to be difficult.
2: It wasn't easy, but I will say that we had it easier than than many other industries. I would think, you know, we were shut down for some time, and we were shut down primarily because of the television production, as you know. In many states, construction got shut down but reopened very quickly mm-hmm. as essential service. And so, the contractors who we were working with at the time, we were with Jeff Sweener, uh, our brilliant contractor out of Rhode Island, working on a project down in Narragansett. He was shut down, I think, for maybe 10 days and he was back up and running. He literally had to kind of find porta potties that had sanitation wash stations. And once he figured that out, they were back. Nice. We couldn't get back as quick as that because of television production, the category that we fell into was under certain restrictions. But we did come back eventually. Yeah, And again, we were fortunate because we were working on construction sites which had figured out how to operate during the pandemic. They're primarily outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had some pretty clear guidelines that were established by us, but by also by the TV industry, SAG-AFTRA rules, by that time, were put in place. Who had to wear masks? Who had to be tested? And uh, we were pretty efficient. You know, we were on the job site, and if you were on camera, your mask came off, and anyone who you worked with on camera, including yourself, had been tested just prior to filming and all that kind of stuff. So we mitigated as much risk as we possibly could. Uh, we worked with people who were you know, well-versed in what they had to do because the construction guys had been at it for months at that point. We didn't have any infections. We didn't have any spread. Um, We did, from time to time, have to explain to the audience why there was a slight delay in the schedule, but we ended up producing all of the episodes for the season and delivering them on time. We had to explain to them, you know, why people were seeing us without masks. But, you know, social media allows you to communicate directly and immediately, so we used those tools to get it done and we were fortunate that you know we were in a restaurant or we were in a music theater which was yep. completely shut down and we saw all around us people who had it way worse than we did and that kind of i think it just inspires you to be like shut up don't complain and be thankful that you're even out here doing what you want to do amen um, and that's the situation we were in
0: amen that's great that's great yeah you guys you guys were you know much better off compared to you know, so many other industries out there. And that does make a lot of sense. You know, it's going to be interesting with this old house. And some of the things that I love is that you guys are starting to, you know, and I'm torn with this, you guys are starting to introduce what I would call the next generation of experts because you've got people there that are, that in a few years are creeping up on that 45 to, to 50 year run working on a television show, which is completely unheard of.
2: Yeah, it is unheard of. And, you know, there's obviously a television reason to to make a transition. Norm is, you know, functionally retired from the show. Mm -hmm. He's still out there going strong and he's working in his, you know, his new shop that he just built for himself. So he hasn't laid the tools down, but he's decided to make less TV with us. Um, You know, so that's a reality. But it shoehorns beautifully with... A big problem in the industry, which you're familiar with, that contractors have to address and we have to address it as well. And that's how are the tradespeople like Richard Trithui, who's a fourth generation plumber, who learned it from his father and his grandfather, you know, how is he going to pass it on to new craftspeople when his two sons have decided to sort of stay in the business somewhat, but not actually be plumbers, not sweating pipe and running systems through houses. So that idea of how do we transition to the next generation is something that we as a brand are confronted with, but we as a country are also confronted with it as well. So we're doing it publicly. We're out there bringing new blood onto the show. We've got Jen, Mark, Morrow, Heath, Nathan. You know, those are the names of people who have not been on the show for 20, 30 years. They've been on and off for a while, um, some more than others. But those are new faces, and we have to introduce them to the public, and we have to tell the story that this is, you know, how Tom Silva passes the you know, the the hypothetical tool belt from from him to someone else um, so that we can keep it going. We're all going to have to address it in this industry. And so we're going to address it publicly on TV as sort of a service, as a wake-up call to everybody.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, let's be honest, what's going on with this old house is going on on every job site across America where you've got the experts that are now reaching that retirement age. And quite frankly, as you know, and, you know, I'm preaching from the same choir here, but we have done a pretty lackluster job over the last 20 years of getting people into the trades. And and now we're trying to play a catch-up game across the country. And there are some amazing programs locally, regionally, across the United States, but we need about you know a dozen more of those in each location to really catch up so we can have all those people in the trades because there's a great career for people out there. And and you guys have really embraced that through the shows, the magazine, everything else, and, and it's really refreshing to see these new faces that are young, that are just learning, and you can team them up with people in the show.
2: We've embraced it, but so have so many others, and we are echoing, you know, similar themes and sentiments that other folks, you know, have been expressing for some time. So it's not just us, and we're, we're happy to lend our voices. To the message and to the cause, um, and we're going to continue to do it. But you're right; it's a big problem. We're 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 not gaining on it, unfortunately. It's it's getting worse, and it will continue to get worse before it gets better. The shortage in the skilled trades is is going to grow, um, I think, before we turn the corner. And in a weird way, Eric, I'm kind of fascinated by it because, you know, in my little mind, it's it's these, it's these points of pressure. It's these inflection points that we get interesting solutions and I don't know what they're going to be in this situation but I am kind of confident that the solutions are going to be pretty cool Mm -hmm. and I don't know if it means that we're going to figure out a new way to build our houses. You know, are we going to go to prefab? Um, You know, are the big builders going to get bigger or are we going to have a groundswell of young people coming up and replacing all these things? You know, there's a couple things that you can kind of feel in the ecosystem. People are sort of a little less enamored with higher education or a little bit more reticent to take on student debt. How's that going to play mm-hmm. into the choices going forward of young people? Um, and the message, you know, will we, will we turn away from 20 years of telling people college is the only acceptable path for you and set up a new message? I don't know. Um, I don't know what market forces and societal forces are going to come to play here. I don't think anyone does, but I am kind of fascinated to see it play out. I hope it, you know, works out well, and we don't kind of crash the whole thing. Yep. Um, but I'm sort of optimistic that we're going to get some cool solutions to this whole thing. And I don't know. I don't know if it's panelization, modularization, or what.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Like in my area here, just in the city that I live in, um, there's no trade classes in the in the high school program here. But I can drive 20 minutes away, and there's a high school program that builds a house. Each year with those students, and each year they build a house, they sell it It finances next year's next year's program. And they Crazy. build one, quote-unquote, Viking house every year, and that's part of that school's program. And, man, there are they're making cabinets. They're building a lot of the stuff on the inside. Completely fascinating to see high school kids building in a program of that level. And it's, to me, I'm super excited about it to see – that level of craftsmanship coming out of a high school program.
2: Yeah, that's very cool. We've got a pretty good vocational education system here in Massachusetts. We're fortunate. Um, It's growing. It's super competitive. There's some real innovation going on. Um, They're actually difficult schools to get into, and they've got great graduation rates and placement rates and employment rates and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's not all the trades that you and I you know traditionally think of. It's things like veterinarian schools and s- courses and stuff like that. But good ideas have a way of catching on and spreading. And <laughs> you know, like I get excited when you tell me there's a course out there that builds a house that pays for next year's course. I was like,, hmm, that's a pretty good idea. So we'll see. We'll see yeah. what we'll see what catches and we'll see what spreads. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And, and there's so many things too. Like another one that, uh, we're, we we, work with here, you know, locally is, a uh, is, uh, and Mike Rowe helped him out a couple years ago, but girls build and my friend Katie that comes on the show here a lot of times, I get excited with what she's doing. She takes young girls eight to 14 and they do summer camps and week long camps. Uh, and they did that even through COVID, uh, of teaching girls the trades, and they'll have somebody out there showing an eight-year-old how to how to bend sheet metal to do a duct, or they'll we'll teach them how to use a saw, and it's full-on trades, and it's little girls, and it, to me, it's it's super exciting. So it, uh, it to me, it's great to see all these people out there that are being innovative in developing new programs, and the more we get, the better off we are.
2: Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And, and you mentioned Mike Rowe, that guy deserves a lot of credit. Um, he, in my opinion, he is one of the most articulate speakers about this problem. Um, one of the most prolific, you know, he's putting his money where his mouth is. Um, you know, we've had the privilege of having him on the show and working with him on this and in all reality we're kind of following his lead i mean he's just so good at it he's so passionate about it i think he's brought a ton of energy and respect to this whole idea so i'm glad to hear you know him involved with what you just talked about cool ideas and
0: to be honest i i love what he does we need about 10 more of those big voices out there for us to to win this battle because uh He's doing a lot. You guys are doing a lot, but uh, we need even a lot more of those out there to help finish this battle off. Because I think it's going to take us another couple of decades to get caught up to uh, where it's at least evened out, where we're not losing so many people. We've got a, we've got people coming back into the programs.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. I think decades is the time frame, uh, unless of course something transformational happens, and you never sure. know. And I don't, I don't I don't want to do pie in the sky stuff, but I'll tell you what I thought. I had seen everything when a, when a rocket was taken off and then I saw a rocket land and I was like, what just happened? (laughs) You know, and and then overnight I was thinking about, you know, like space completely differently because of, you know, one guy's imagination and, and striving to, you know, create SpaceX and, and Musk and not that it's one man, there's, you know, thousands of them out there, but you know, that idea of how out of nowhere comes something that becomes transformative. And it just changes your perception. So I I do think that the time frame for solving the shortage of skilled tradespeople in this country is probably a decades or multi-decade long event. But you never know. We might have something transformative come out of the blue, come out of left field that we did not expect. I have seen, you know, with this podcast that we do, which is sort of a deep dive on different subjects, I am desperately trying to write you know, the magna opus on production builders, (laughs) sort of an ongoing, um, friendly debate with a buddy of mine about whether they're good or bad. You know, the guys who build thousands and tens of thousands of homes every year, they got the reputation of being fast and cheap and identical and replicated and all that kind of stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know. I don't know. They seem to be, you know, it's, it's kind of like, say McDonald's is awful and how terrible they are but then you can't wrap your head around the fact that they sell a billion hamburgers and you're like well if they're so bad why do people keep buying them like maybe we're just thinking about it the wrong way and i know that we can say that they're unhealthy whatever but still they sell a billion hamburgers exactly so what is it about these production builders and you know the more i dig into it it's not resolved but the more i dig into it i'm like wow Wow, there's a lot of innovation going on out there. Like these guys have got to figure out how to build a thousand homes and to meet code, build them well, build them fast, make them affordable, develop neighborhoods. And it's amazing when you dig into it. And I'm starting to wonder, you know, if a lot of this stuff doesn't end up getting solved with some of these people trying to solve a different problem. Which is, you know, how do we build when there's a shortage of labor? Well, maybe we have to figure out a different way to do it. Have you looked into the panelization? Oh, I mean, it's crazy, right? I mean, people building walls on a factory floor and then traditional stick frame carpenters and general contractors ordering up pre made walls. Gosh darn it, it makes a ton of sense. It makes a ton of sense. Send me a wall. I've got the blueprints. I've got the CAD file. You make it and send it to me. I don't need to do this on the job. So I, I just think there's innovation out there and I'm waiting for a couple of these things to pop and to coalesce. And I wonder if we don't have the makings of some of these solutions right in front of us. And it may not mean... Thousands of carpenters swinging hammers on job sites, but it very well may, well mean, but it very well may mean highly skilled, well paid craftspeople contributing to the building of American homes in maybe a different way than we've imagined in the past. Kevin, you make a
0: fascinating point because one of these production builders could go into a town that they want to build a thousand homes in grab a a warehouse space that was already built put in their their panel construction shop inside there where they're building off the plans and you have well-paid installers out there that are putting these panels together and then the next thing you know you have a house framed
2: yeah yeah faster potentially cheaper and potentially at a higher quality than if you did it over the course of 3 weeks given all the weather and uncertainty and those types of things. And quite and frankly it's, it's going to be type more efficient. Of job. Potentially, absolutely. I mean, we we were we were I have I've got a buddy who works with me on on the uh, on the podcast, Chris Ermides, you know him, and and you know, he and I talk about this quite a bit and you know, he's literally talking to some of these panelization guys. He went down and saw one of these facilities, bunch of old, not old age-wise, but former framers you know, who worked on the job site in the traditional way that you and I are familiar with who've now moved inside under roof to create wall panels in a panelization company. And he watched these guys pump out wall sections and he's like, they never bent over, not once. They never knelt down or bent over. All of the materials were up at table height. All the tools were there ready to go. And they whipped these walls out to a level of precision you almost could not get on the job site. And they whipped them out fast and accurate and a super high quality in a fraction of the time it would take to do it on site. And at a fr- at, at, at less than it would cost you or, or equally uh, as expensive as doing it on site. Those things may be transformational. No and to question. tell you the truth, Eric, that might be the thing that attracts more people into the trades. Mm-hmm. You remember you remember growing up, working on a job site, part-time, high school or college, whatever, you know, that age, and you were the low man? And it was almost a sport to see how hard they can make you work. Oh, yeah. Pump, you know- you know, hump this stack of shingles up onto the roof. Go. Fast. You know, carry yeah. this. Yeah. And not just they, one bundle. They to four, make it tough. Four
0: bundles. Yeah. You know, right. What are you doing right. taking one at a time? Grab four of those and get up that yeah. ladder. You know, and, and the ladder's not rated right. for the four bundles, let alone your body weight, but
2: you're still doing it. Right. Right. And, and then at the same time, those guys would be like, how come no one wants to get into this profession? <laughs> well, well, I know it was fun to see how tough the kid was, but at the same time, you didn't really, you know, make them feel great about the profession, right? You know, so, you know, maybe some of these people who want to put their creativity and their skill and a little bit of computer this and working with their hands together, they may end up, You know, making wall panels and panelization and have a big part of building America's homes. And that can be, and if that's a well-paying, lucrative job that challenges them and you know gets them into the world of working with their hands, that could be a pretty cool solution.
0: That is. And you know what's funny? And to circle this back around, it's interesting. When I when I talk to other contractors out there, you guys are kind of ended up as this old house is kind of the the litmus test whether a product is real or not. I know of plenty of remodeling contractors, tradespeople, whatever. And if they haven't seen it on this old house in the past, it's not ready to go into their home yet. It's kind of interesting to watch that with technology changing, we're getting healthier homes, we're getting more home tech, all these different things. If they haven't seen it on your show or mentioned in the show, it's not real yet. And it's been kind of fun to watch that happen with that franchise.
2: Well, it's high praise, uh, so thank you for that. It's probably a little overstated in this day and age when there are so many additional outlets for information. And I and I could see, you know, going back over our history where that that may have actually been as emphatic as you declare it. You know, because there were so few outlets. But today, it is a it is sort of a blessing, you know, that we have and a little bit of a curse. But you know that we have social media and YouTube and all those things because good ideas spread through those mediums um, very quickly, and it's way more democratic with a small D. And we are receiving information and feedback that way as well. We do like to think that if we show it, that it is high quality, time tested, and appropriate. Um, But in this day and age, there are a lot of sources of this information. And I think that's good for the industry as a whole. I consume lots of stuff on social media by craftspeople who are just as skilled or God forbid for me saying it more skilled than our guys you know super specialized and I'm seeing stuff that our guys haven't introduced to me and I'm seeing it out there and being like hey look at this and our guys are open to it It's like oh what is it let me see oh, I'll try that absolutely so to their credit they're still curious but you know they they're just humans like they can't They can't grab all this information and come up with it on their own. So we're good that there's this feedback loop now that's been established by social media um, and the Internet that really helps the profession quite a bit.
0: Yeah, I've found some great products on other social media channels as well that, uh, you know, following these people. I'm not going to name any names out there because that's not the point, but there's people I've followed. I'm like, oh, what's that? Oh, that's cool. Sure. And, you you know, or. I had an interview that I'm like, are you kidding me? This I was talking to a technology guy, and, you know, I've taught technology classes for NHB, but, you know, learning about products that can pr- predict a electrical fire in a house, and that technology is out there now. So it's, it's really fun and exciting to see, especially on the home tech front, where that's going. We're just kind of at the infancy of it now, but over the next number of years, I think the home tech front is going to be – it's going to make our lives more comfortable mm-hmm. but a lot more safer as well and I'm sure you guys are with home technology it's got to be tough because you guys have such a history to the show to put something on there that's of course tried and true even though it's new and trying to weave in the weave in and weave out the okay this is a this is a real product versus mm-hmm. I hate to use snake oil but there's plenty of snake oil out there as well that's got to be a huge responsibility
2: it's it's a little harder to do these days than it was back in the day because to your point about the sophistication of the technology how quickly it's being sort of put onto the market but also how new it is and you know uh, you know Tommy will talk about the benefits of of building paper of tar paper you know and it's and it's because he's had forty years of experience working with it and before him people have had decades working with it and they can talk about it. They've taken apart houses and they've seen it still there. You know, so you have that sort of multi decade feedback that says it works and now there's stuff that was invented twelve months ago and is on market two months ago and you're like, wow, it sounds like a really good idea. I mean, could you imagine being able to replace all of the vent louvers on your forced hot air, air central air conditioning system, replace all of the louvers with a louver, um, a little grate that has a little motor in it and is controlled by a central processing unit on your phone that can balance the airflow to every room. So now you can take a one zone system and effectively turn it into a multi-zone system that's smart enough not to overpressurize one room at the expense of another room, right? It's a lot more sophisticated yeah. than you just slapping a piece of cardboard in front of one of these registers. <laughs> well, you're like, gosh darn it, that's a really good idea, and I get why that's going to work. We are probably going to talk about it. It's just a little bit more risky because it's only been around for a year or two yeah um, and we're not quite sure what are all the bugs that are gonna you know pop up over time. So I fortunately our audience is pretty sophisticated and, and they're they're generally very nice people. they're kind of forgiving. So I think they know that when it comes to the tech stuff, that our standard of you know decades of proven feedback is not necessarily what we're going to be working with with some of these new technologies. We do try to vet them as best we can, but oh, we yeah. can't always tell you that they're time-tested.
0: Well, great example. Uh, just last week, I had a new... Um, I'll throw the brand out there because it makes a little difference on my discussion, this carrier infinity heating and cooling system in my house. And not sponsored comment here, but just it's just what it is. And... I watched it do its setup, and it's going through and testing what the maximum velocity of my existing ducts are with the vents all the way open, yeah. and it's fine tuning itself within the computers. And compared to the right. system that I had before, that was pretty much off on. You know, I'm a technology expert. I'm watching this go on. Go, holy smokes! This thing is literally like a brand new car. It's setting it up itself up for the engine to be running at, at max efficiency. And that's the way many of these new systems are now. And it's it's changing so much each and every year. You guys always are bringing that new stuff out, which to me is is fun and enjoyable in the trade, somebody to be able to watch it, let alone just being a homeowner that's, that's never seen anything like that in the past.
2: Yeah, I'm with you. That stuff gets me excited, too. Richard Trithui, our our, um, plumber, heating and cooling contractor, brings us that stuff all the time. His son, Ross, who's on the show um, quite frequently, um, who didn't go into plumbing but became a mechanical engineer and now designs um, these heating and cooling systems for clients. So he's very much in the trade. You know, The two of them are sort of the yin and yang of the stuff. And to get into that, and to hear about these technologies, I mean, it's miraculous, right? To hear about the progression of heat pump technology, which is a good idea, but never really worked in super cold climates, and now it's working—you know, below zero—is yep. able to extract heat from more and more remote temperatures is remarkable. Sophisticated systems, to your point, where the the system learns and it balances itself—you know, the ability to send different amounts of refrigerant to different condensers throughout the house to help control um, the comfort in the house. I mean, when Richard—I mean, you can see him light up with this stuff. When he (laughs) talks about a system that's so sophisticated that can tell that, you know, at midday it is warmer on the south side of the house because of the sun's orientation, (laughs) and the system is able to capture heat from that side of the house— and deliver it to the north side of the house and never have to spend energy to make heat, to simply go and move latent heat from one side of the house to the other, that a system could be in your house, be that sophisticated and deliver that level of comfort and intelligence to you, it's marvelous. It's absolutely marvelous. And it's one of the reasons why our houses are more efficient than they've ever been, why we're using less energy in ever increasingly bigger houses mm-hmm. um it's transformational to the industry and that kind of stuff we love telling that story
0: yeah that's exciting stuff it's exciting stuff well kevin what do you see coming up on this old house anything uh exciting you guys have added the podcast recently i mean it's been crushing it out there on the numbers i'm seeing uh what else you guys got going on
2: yeah, so we just we just dropped episode one of season two of the podcast, which is called Clear Story. Um, that hit last week, and we were shut down a little bit in production because of COVID. We came back out of that, and we got a whole new season um, on its way, and we paid a nod to COVID. The first episode is actually about... How the pandemic might transform the way we live. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm sitting in a basement that I converted to a little home studio because I can no longer record the podcast at a professional studio. So we're all familiar with those ideas. Sure. The Mm -hmm. home office in the bedroom or the school that's, you know, the dining room that's been turned into a school for our kids. But, you know, what I don't think people realize is that we've had, you know, four to six major pandemics in this country over the last couple hundred years. And each one of those things has actually affected the way our houses are built, our cities are laid out, our municipal systems are put together. So clear story starts with that. And then it goes into other subjects like the world's most used construction material. Any guesses as to what it is, Eric? Boy,
0: I'm going to say it's probably wood, but I'm
2: guessing. So it's a good guess. But It's wrong, it's concrete of all there. We things. go, As you can imagine, yeah, it's sort of everywhere. And so, we'll talk about how it's used everywhere, how its use is growing. But think about this it's also ancient, right? It's thousands of years old. True. And believe it or not, like the Romans were building stuff. The uh, the Pantheon uh still exists in Rome, it's got a concrete dome that's still standing. Um, they lost the recipe, someone forgot how to make it, and for a thousand <laughs> years after the Romans. It's it's like they lost the recipe to Coke. They didn't know how to make concrete, so we didn't we didn't build with concrete for a thousand years. And now it's back and it's on a rage and a tear. So we'll talk about stuff like that. So, clear stories back. That's new. Um, the project that we were talking about on this old house, which is at three-decker in Dorchester, will wrap up in a few weeks. We've already started the next one. Uh, it's a beautiful cape from the late 1800s. It's gone through several renovations. Now we've got a new young family with a new child, um, and they're going to do another renovation. They want a little bit of a modern twist, so we'll talk about how you sort of bring in the new and attach it to the old. The front-facing will be historical. The back-private will be modern. Um, our craftsmen will you know, pull that one off. And this weekend, we start yet another one. Uh, we're going to get in the cars, and we're going to drive up to Saratoga Springs, Beautiful little destination there. Yep. And we've got a house that needs to be renovated for a family. Um, they are the sixth generation of their family to live in this house. Six continuous generations living in the house. Wow. And it's their turn to make it their own. Yeah. So we'll, t- we'll talk about that. So always something new. Um, always something new. New projects coming your way. Brand new season of Ask This Old House as well. We'll be back on the road We'll be out there driving and flying all across the country, ringing doorbells and uh, bringing our experts into people's homes, fixing the problems that, you know, just befuddle people day in and day out. Super fun. Kevin O'Connor,
0: This Old House, thanks for coming on today, brother. I appreciate it.
2: Uh, It's been my
0: pleasure, Eric. Thank you for the invite. So thanks for listening. We really appreciate you. Make sure you hit us up on Facebook, Around the House with Eric G., or our closed group, Around the House Nation. Great show, brother. Thanks for coming in today. Absolutely. All right. Well, I'm Eric G. I'm Dane Vodder, And you've been listening to, to Around, Around the House.
1: Around the House with Eric G. Is produced by, designed by Eric G. In association with Salem Media. And distributed nationally by the Sun Broadcast Group. All rights reserved. Copyright designed by Eric G. We will be back next week. If you missed part of the show, check out the podcast of all of our shows at AroundTheHouseOnline.com. Remember, measure with a micrometer, mark with caulk, and cut with an ax. Thanks for listening to Around the House.